here. My, uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Kiara Thorne. I am the campus leader for the Franklin Avenue campus and um, a staff member here at our church. And I get to do the second installment in our series on fasting. Um, let me just start by some saying some transparent things. Fasting is hard for me. I enjoy food and social media. I like coming home from work and scrolling for however long I want to scroll. So this is, this is going to be a challenge, you know? And I just wanted to acknowledge that from here. So if you go home and you say, man, this sucks, you'll know that you are not alone. <laughs> I will also be feeling that. Um, but I feel like this is important. One, because Jesus says it's important. He mentions it a couple times in his life when he's here, when he's talking to different people, and then all throughout scripture, um, all the people who we admire also practice fasting. So we know that this is a discipline practiced by Christians and followers of Jesus for hundreds of years, um, and we are connected to that lineage, and they suffer too. So, you know, we'll just collectively suffer. I have the opportunity um, to talk about fasting and repentance. So the first uh, section was like an overview on fasting, kind of getting your feet wet on what we think about fasting as a whole. And now I'm talking about fasting and repentance, which is so lovely together. Like both of those are really intense topics. And as I was studying this, I was like, God, these are the hard things. Like fasting is hard and repentance is hard. These are not the fun messages. Um, but I was listening to Tim Mackey from the Bible Project talk about his relationship with fasting. And he was saying that actually fasting and feasting go together. They're one collective discipline. And the Jewish people would practice rhythms of fasting and feasting. And when I put it in that context, and I thought about our Christmas party, where I danced until I sweat, and then I got stuck in my little costume, I'm like, okay. When I think about it like that, it feels like something that I can handle. It feels like something more balanced. So there's spaces where I come into times of solitude and times of um, practicing disciplines that align myself. And then there are times when I come into practices where I let all that go and I just dance to Whitney Houston all night, okay? So I want you to think about that too, that this is a part of the rhythm that we want to develop of fasting and feasting, of having rhythms that follow the Spirit of God. When Jesus was saying, how come your disciples don't fast? The other people fast. Why don't you fast? They were in a time of feasting. And when the bridegroom leaves, then it's the time of fasting. Do you see the cycle, the rhythms there? So I want to approach it from that perspective, that this is a rhythm. And as you hear the other people come and talk about fasting, you can think about that from this perspective, that it's a rhythm. All right, I'm going to be talking from Joel 2. So if you have a Bible um, or if you're still looking at your cell phones, you can use your cell phone. Um, Joel only has like three chapters. I guess he didn't have that much to say. And so I'll tell you the whole story in like a few minutes because it wasn't that much. So at the beginning of Joel, 
Um, Joel is a prophet who's speaking. We really don't know what time period he was speaking to or in. People think that he was during the time of exile, and then some people think he was uh, prophesying right after exile, during like the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Bible scholars are kind of unsure, but either way, the people weren't in such a good place when Joel was prophesying to them. Either they were exiled or they had just come out of exile, but they weren't doing so well. So Joel, as an author, assumes that Israel already knows about their sin. He assumes that you have already listened to all these other prophets say, hey, stop sinning. He doesn't address that piece. He comes from the perspective of since you're aware of your sin, let me talk about what you should do. Now that you know that there are some things that you have been participating in that God isn't happy about, let me show you what we should be doing as a response to that. And these three books go through that kind of response. Does that make sense? No? It was so confusing? You're all falling apart? Okay, cool. All right, so um, in the beginning of the book, he's super poetic, and he talks about uh, the plague of locusts, and he reminds the Israelites of the plague that they saw the Egyptians go through, and it was terrible. It was like the locusts came in and destroyed everything and got on everybody's last nerves, and just, it was, it was awful. And he reminds the people of how the Lord allowed that plague to come to them and all the desolation that it brought. I've never seen locusts in the Bible represent anything besides desolation. It's never a good thing when you hear locusts represented in the Bible. So he reminds them of the thing that they had with Egypt and the locusts coming to destroy them. And he calls the people to repent. He's like, remember how good and terrible the Lord was. Repent. And so the people repent at the end of chapter one, and they cry out and they tear their clothes. Repenting in, in the Old Testament was real dramatic. People were like ripping their clothes off and putting ashes on their face, like they're going to war. Like I think Rambo probably was one of those people. This being super dramatic. But it was that. So then the people go through this period of repentance, and then Joel kind of recognizes that you're, you've been dramatic with your repentance, but I don't know if your heart is doing anything different. So then in chapter two, he comes back and he says, okay, you remembered in chapter one how I referenced the past time of locusts. Don't think that that's just for the past. When he talks about this coming day of the Lord, he explains that there is a time coming that will look just like that time. And he talks about the locusts like they're a mighty army in the hand of the Lord coming to do justice, coming to destroy and create desolation for all that was sinful. And so he calls these people again to a place of repentance. And this is where we're going to pick up reading together. Um, it's Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Our screen back there is not working, so I'm going to turn. Yeah, it's okay. I can just turn around. My legs work. You know, I can squat and turn. All right. Joel 2, 12 through 27. I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to pack. Pause in the middle and we'll talk and then I'll read the second half. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents 
from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, a grain offering and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those who are nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the porch, that's portico, I don't know, we'll say porch for now, and the altar. And let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn a byword among the nations. Why should they say to, among the people, where is their God? Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them. So that's the second half. We won't get into that. All right, so from this first section, verses 12 through 17, there were a couple things that I gathered. Here are the things that I gathered. Ta-da. All right. What is the passage talking about? Well, it feels like the Lord is asking the people to return to him. Who or how should they return to him? At the beginning, it says they should return with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So there is this like low place that it feels like God is asking the people to return to. Who should return? Everybody. Everybody should return, okay? He said, he named everybody in this list. Babies, brand new brides and wives, old people, young people. Everybody stop what you're doing. If you're eating a sandwich, put the sandwich down and come and repent. He was like, this is everybody. Then lastly, why? Because he is merciful, slow to anger, and full of love. When Jake kept highlighting today for the Lord delights in showing mercy, I felt like there was something significant in that. There is something in his character that leads us to repentance. And so that's why these people um, are being asked to fast and mourn and weep. So because of those things in this section, here is what I have um, gathered that I think repentant fasting is about. And I want to say repentant fasting because there are different modes of fasting. There's fasting that's repentant, that's a turning of your heart, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But there's also fasting that's communing. And there's also fasting that's about calling. And there's also, fa- there's like several different modes of how people fast. And as the series goes on, you'll hear about the different components of fasting. This is just one of them. So I'm calling it repentant fasting to kind of distinguish it from some of the other ways you could fast. From this, I gather that repenting, repentant fasting is about grieving. It's about returning or returning and it's about alignment. So let's talk about grief for a moment. Um, If you've ever experienced grief, it is not fun. It's not a great experience. It's heartbreaking. It's, It's a deep place within your soul that you go to. And this is the place that the Lord is calling these people to. He says, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, rend your hearts and not your garments. So that word rend is not a word that we use very often in normal English. Maybe they spoke like that, but we don't. But rend means to tear open. So he's asking them to tear open their hearts, not just their clothes. Don't tear all your clothes off. Tear your hearts open. And I was wondering, why would you 
ask the people to do that? They're already hungry. Why would you ask them to grieve? Why would you ask them to come to this place? But it wasn't that God was asking them to just produce their own grief, to just be really, really sorry for what was happening. No. Fasting, that hunger that you experience, puts you in a position of being low and being humble. And that kind of low and humbleness positions you to connect with God's grief. It's not your own grief that you're connecting with in this moment. It puts you in a position to hear his heart on grief. So he was grieved. Um, in uh, Ephesians 4, 4.30, it explains how we can grieve the Holy Spirit because of our sin, how we can um, hurt his heart. And I get that. Like He made this beautiful thing. It's almost like I guess it is like making children and then watching them like suffer, watching them do things that harm themselves. If you've ever had kids who have had a struggle at school of any kind, then you know the disappointment. Even nephews or anybody you love have a struggle. You know the, the heartache that you feel because you want to rescue them. You want the best for them, and they're living beneath that thing that you created for them. When you made them, you had all these hopes and aspirations for them, and right now, because of their lives, they're not in that position, and there's a grief that you feel. And there's a grief that God feels. It's not like I'm so angry with you. It's like, man, I made you for so much more than this. And you're living beneath that in this moment. And it grieves my heart because my desires for you are good. And I wouldn't always connect with that in myself. But fasting, repentant fasting, puts you in a place to begin to hear the Lord speak to you about that. Not just as a whole, but also for your own self. Where in your life have you created grief for him? And it's not to shame you, it's to heal you. Anything that comes up that the Lord brings to light, his desire is to heal it, not to shame you for it. So this is the first place that he calls the Israelites to, this place of grieving. And as some of you guys know, I'm a a therapist So I work with people who grieve a lot, and I can't tell you the number of adults I show a little animated video about empathy. And it's a video about, um, it's a deer and a bear, and uh, what's the other one? It's a deer and a bear, and I don't know what this other animal is. Maybe a chipmunk, a capybara, I don't know. It's some weird animal. I should have showed you the video, but we didn't have all that time. So I'll just tell you what happens in the video. As this lady, her name is Brene Brown, and she begins to explain how empathy is one of the hardest things for anybody to do. And she says, empathy requires you to connect to the darkest parts of yourself to understand the darkest parts of someone else. Empathy requires you to take on that perspective. It's like, oh, I know what this feels like. I know what it feels like to come to that place. And that is so difficult to do. I don't want to feel that way. I would rather feel great all the time, every day. And also, that would make me really non-empathetic. Fasting is, an, is a way to get our bodies in a position to empathize with God and with other people. It connects us to the parts of ourselves that we often wouldn't want to see but in a way where God can do something with them. We don't have to traverse that land on our own. He does it with us. So that's the first part. Repentant passing creates an environment where you can connect to God's grief and receive his heart. Second part, returning. Um, So if you know about repentance, you know that repentance is not saying sorry. 
is turning. If you were walking this way and you repented, to repent would be to turn and go the other way. So repentance, I guess I repented every time I missed my turn on GPS. And I just recalculate. Recalculation is repentance. Okay, so that, that's what he's asking them to do. Is He's asking them to turn from wherever they were to him. He says uh, in verse 12, yet even now return from me. So it begins to make sense to me. First, you humble yourself through this position of fasting and weeping and mourning to receive God's heart and to let him illuminate to you what was going wrong here or what he desires to have more of or just he gives you his his thoughts there. So you in that place of lowness, he's sharing himself with you. You're connecting to him. You're grieving. And now he asks you, okay, now that you understand, turn, turn from this place and come over to me. And he asked the, the people of Israel to do that. And with us, he asked us to do the same thing, to turn from our old ways, from whatever the Lord is highlighting to us. This is going to be really practical. Let me just say that now. By the time we get to the end, it's going to be really, really practical. This is not a super deep sermon. So if you're looking for deep, so sorry. I don't have that to give you today. So repentance is turning. It's grieving. Once you have... Oh, this is what I wrote. Yet even now return to the Lord. Can you go to the next one? Yet even now return to me with all your hearts. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful. Repentant fasting turns our hearts back to, keep going, our first love. He asks us, now that you've connected with my heart, come back to me. And that is just reminding me of that thing I talked about earlier where the Lord delights in showing mercy. This is why he's asking you to come back, because he wants to be merciful. The Bible says that he looks to be good to you. He searches for ways that he can be blessed towards you. So that's why he's asking you to turn. The first part is grieving. The second part is returning. You already said he was the Lord of your life. Return to that Lord. Once you've done those two things, then the last piece is alignment. I wrote in my notes, in my notes, we align our hearts with his, with his plan, with his heart and his thoughts on everything, including sin. So going back to Joel too, where it talks about the day of the Lord is coming. Joel is talking about this massive plague that is going to come via these locusts. And it's kind of a metaphor, kind of literal. We don't really know fully, but there is a plague coming that is going to be um, great and terrible, the Bible describes it. And it is the Lord's desire to do away with all sin. That's what we hope for, that he does fully accomplish justice in the earth, that he does away with all forms of injustice and evil and villainous and everything that's plagued us. All that stuff is coming to an end. That's the coming day of the Lord that Joel is referencing. However, all sin means all sin. So if, if that's in me, it's coming to an end too. Because the day is coming where he will wipe all of that away. And here is an invitation for that to not be a great and, dear, and terrible day that sneaks up on you. That you find yourself, oh my goodness, I am in the day of the Lord. Now I'm full of sin. This is terrible. This is the invitation to not have that be a part of your life. This is an invitation to let him do it in you first. 
to let him heal all of that stuff in you first before the day of the Lord comes. It's not a threat. It's just letting you know what's going to happen. Sounds a little threatening, but I promise he's not threatening you. So the day of the Lord is coming and we have grieved with God and we are returning to him. And those two things put us in a place of alignment. I hear Brandy often talk about align our souls, spirits and our bodies to you, Lord. And I think about like a plumb line or like a funnel from heaven. Um, Sometimes when I don't want to spend a lot of money, I try to fix my car myself but I don't have any mechanic skills. So that often goes poorly. And one time I went to AutoZone uh, because my fuel, what's the light, the oil light? That's what it's called. You see, I shouldn't be fixing cars. The oil light was on and um, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And I drove like that for, I don't know, two months. And then my husband, yeah, my husband was like, Kiara, do you want this car? And I was like, yeah. He was like, then do something. I was like, okay. So I went to AutoZone and um, I asked the guy, what do I need? He was like, okay, let me teach you how to do your oil. And he pulled up a little dipstick and showed me how to do it. I still don't know how to do it. And then he was like, okay, you need this, this oil. I said, great. And he was like, do you need my help? And I was like, no, I got it. I can do it myself. It's fine. So I got the oil. I didn't have a funnel. I didn't have anything like that in the car. So I just tried to like pour it because I can just pour oil into this little container. No, I can't. I spilled oil all over the front of the car. So as I'm starting to spill it, like I'm smart, I can adjust in the middle. So I grab like, um, I don't know, like a paper or something so I can make like a funnel out of some paper and then pour the oil. This is so dangerous, like don't do this. But I was pouring oil with the paper and by this time, a young gentleman is like, this girl's about to blow herself up. And so he comes over, he's like, do you have a funnel? And I was like, I don't have a funnel, please help. And so he gives me a funnel and I'm like, okay, now I can pour this oil into the car. Thankfully, I didn't spill oil all over the car. I wiped up a lot of where um, the oil spilled and my car is still drivable. If you see me praying for a new car soon, then you'll know that that is why. I probably shouldn't have gone that route, but so far, everything is going fine. But man, if I had had a funnel, I wouldn't have had to struggle through that whole process. It would have just been from the container, through the funnel, down into the oil, and all of it would have been downloaded. But because I did not have a funnel, I spilled stuff all over the place, and I almost damaged my car, and I got oil in my hands, and I hate having my hands dirty. It was just a terrible experience. This is that. This is the same kind of alignment that the Lord is calling these people to. He is trying. Like His desire is to be good to you. His desire is to pour everything that he has onto you and into you. His desire is to give you good things. But just because of our lives, just because of day-to-day life, because of pain, because of circumstance, sometimes we get out of alignment. Sometimes the, the space between us and heaven just has like all these other bends to it. There's some stuff getting in the way. Fasting positions us to be realigned. So when he's pouring, I am like a funnel. I can receive what's coming from heaven directly into me. And it's not spilling on the floor and it's not falling out. And it is like a funnel because at the bottom of a funnel, the stuff that was poured in comes out. And so I have the space to receive what God is giving and to give it to wherever God is giving it. This is what God was asking these people for. Return to me because I want to be gracious to you. Align yourselves to me again. So then the second half of the scripture says, 
Verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and he had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I'm sending you grain, wine and oil, not car oil, heaven oil. And you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. I'll pause right here. The Lord's way of dealing with everything that dealt with you is so intense. Like his love for you is so ferocious. He just destroys all of it. I will make the smell of him reach the heavens. That's what it just said. Like, oh no, that's, that's how you beat up an enemy. That's what I need when I'm playing Mortal Kombat. That's, that's what I need. <laughs> Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The trees bear fruit again. The fig trees and the vines give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore you to the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, the great army which I sent upon you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord your God, am he and there is nothing else and no one else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Not only does he defeat all your enemies, but everywhere where desolation came, he provides an abundance in its place. So if your crops were destroyed, you're receiving twofold crops. If you lost friendships and family members, you receive twofold and joy. He's restoring and repairing double what he gave you. And even more so, he talks about great abundance in this section. And that's the point of repentant fasting is connecting with the Lord's heart. It's returning back to him. It's aligning ourselves with him so he can give us everything that he's wanting to give us. And then after he has restored us, he's given us abundance. Then the section that everybody knows in Joel comes up. And in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions, even on men and women alike. That's right after all of this. So man, the point that he's leading them into is the depths of why we do any of this stuff. It's the depths of our, of our suffering, all of this. It's our full reward that he's leading us into. That is why he asked us to come to this place of grieving, not so we could stay there. He asked us to come to this point of returning, not so we could stay there or alignment, not just so we could be aligned, but so he could pour our spirit, his spirit out, not just on us, but on all flesh. Breaking down every barrier, removing everyone, my sons and daughters, servants, men and women alike. This is him fulfilling the full promise that he gave to us. And then Joel goes on to talk about the new heaven, the new earth, the um, restoration of Jerusalem, all those different things that he's going to do. That's that next section. That's not my section, but I'm going to tell you about it. That's what's coming up. 
And for our church, for our body, we are wrestling with some heavy things right now. We have been crying out for the spirit of God for years and he's been coming. And now we have like separated into two campuses and we're filling out our mission to be closer to Aliquippa, but we're still here in Hopewell serving Aliquippa. Man, if we didn't need the spirit of God before now, we need him now. We need him now to do 2023. 2022 was not so great in some areas. Great in some, not so great in others. And for where the Lord has taken us in this next year, we need this. We need his spirit to be poured out on us without measure. Fasting is a way that we align ourselves to receive his heart because he wants to pour out his spirit in all measure, without measure. I was talking to a girl in one of my sessions and she said, I know the Lord is good. I don't know if he's willing. And it just broke my heart for a moment because I've been in that place of not knowing if he's willing. I know that he can. I don't know if he will. But from this, we learn that he delights in showing mercy. We learn that his desire is to do good to you, that he wants to pour out his spirit in all people without measure. And he echoes it all throughout the New Testament. So the question, is he willing, becomes mute as he says, yes, I am willing and I want to. You don't have to have the want to. I want to. So that's pretty much it. I don't know. Grieve and repent. It's going to not be so fun, but man, he's going to heal us in it. He's going to restore us in it, and he's going to pour out his spirit in it, and that's what we need. I can't imagine what February is going to be like. So excited. If this is what it takes for me to like not eat a couple donuts, for you to pour out your spirit in full measure, I'm fine with that. People will keep Max in business besides me for the next week or so. Bless the Lord, you know? I can, I can handle this. And if I can't, he can help me. Yeah. I need him to do that. Okay, so uh, Carol's going to come and close, but before she closes, I really feel like that line for the Lord delights and showing mercy is significant. So um, the prayer ministers are going to come at some point. The Lord delights in showing mercy to you. Is there a place where you need mercy? If there is, come receive mercy.